This is the Owens Recovery Science Podcast. All right, welcome back to another Owens Recovery Science Podcast. First of 2024, right? I think it is. Ooh, right? Yeah, first one. Yeah, it is. All right. First and one. we brought on a rock star uh, special start guest here, right. which is going to yeah start the year off right. So um totally excited. We'll, we'll get into her bio and, and everything that she's going to share with us here in a second. But just coming, I want to check with you, Kyle, because Ben said you were real cranky ass on the um, was. on the course call yesterday. And is it because you hadn't thought out yet from your <laughs> two courses last yeah, weekend? I was I was cold still. Laura, we sent Kyle to Wisconsin during one of their coldest uh, weekends this last weekend. So yeah, he was uh, texting me whining about five. Oh God, you text her too. I texted Kyle? her too. I complained yes. to. I complained to my people, to you and Ben and Zach and to Laura and Eric. Yeah. yeah. I keep getting these little weather like um, screenshots and yeah, just a whiny <laughs> ass, dude. The Mr. <laughs> California can't take it a little bit cold. Was your facial hair all frozen? It like handle it. Yeah. It, w- it would have been if I <laughs> if I had to stay out there a little bit longer for sure. Oh, man. You're doing better now, though? You're, you're thawed I'm out? I'm thawed out. I'm warmed up. You won't have poo-poo lip this entire well, no, I'm more, I'm excited because Laura's here. So, you know, that, that cheered me up. I know, now, man. Everything's good in the world. Yeah. Well, let's, <laughs> let's get into this real quick. Cause today we're going to, we're going to focus on Kyle. What's the hottest tendon there is right now? Oh, it's, it's got to be 5 gotta million be Instagram followers. The gotta Achilles. Be. The Achilles is, is the tendon of the moment. Um, the a Taylor lot of it Swift is. of tendons, baby. It is. That's good. And, uh, one of the reasons is a, a guy that's kind of a lightning rod in the NFL um, has talked a lot about his Achilles and documented yes. some of his recovery. And everyone's saying, maybe he didn't even tear it. He got back so fast. Right. He's faking it. Maybe it was the ashwagandha. Maybe it was the, the peyote. The, the maybe it was the, the ashwagandha. Not, not having your Did COVID you try shot. to say ayahuasca? Well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> But ashwagandha is something. It's a thing too, dude. It is? No. That's Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I was just there. It's cold there. That's all it is. I don't do any of that stuff, man. Bourbon, beer, (laughs) and a multivitamin. And Rogaine. That's about it. (laughs) Anyways, the tip might be the best intro ever. It is the hot tendon. There's some really new things that go on with it. We're going to talk a lot about Achilles repairs. Um, but if we want to get into tendinopathy, we can, we can certainly do that as well. But the, the game has changed somewhat with the surgical procedure for this over the last few years. And I, you know, I think it's good for everyone to be up to date on, on what's going on here. So our guest who sees a lot of these, who is sports medicine certified, who is, um, uh, orthopedic certified. She has level two coaching certs in USA weightlifting. She lives in Bozeman, Montana, Bose Angeles, Kyle. Do you know what they call you Californians out there? What do they call Bunny it? huggers. Bunny, Bunny huggers? huggers? Yeah. Is that you true? Guys have invaded Bozeman. Yeah. I looked up what are the two most popular terms for Californians that have invaded Bose Angeles and it is bunny yeah. huggers and prune pickers. So from now on, you are Kyle Prune Picker. <laughs> I don't even know what Prune Picker means, but it's, it's the number two. It's thing. Sounds and like you're constipated. Uh, is that what? 
That's all the fiber y'all eat. Uh, Wait, dude, you can't even pick a is a prune thing you can pick? Isn't a prune like no, a No, yeah, it's, it's not. That's why I don't get it at all. I don't think you, you can even, pick a prune. I don't can't know. Pick a <laughs> My grandmother would make me eat prunes because she always thought I was constipated. I'm oh, like, I'm God. fine. I'm reading Mad Magazine it's in just... the bathroom. That's why I'm in here so long. It's just my other things. Case. I'm a teenager. Um, <laughs> no. Anyways, sorry, Laura. I'm going to get back to this. So we have the one and only Laura Epstedal on our podcast today. If you're on the socials, you you know Laura's work. If you're at CSM, you know Laura. She is a rock star in the sports medicine community. She has a thriving practice out there in Bozeman, Montana, which I think I would love to hear kind of how she is, um, how she kind of came to that practice and some pearls on that. She has a new thing out there I heard of from Kyle that they built out uh, as well, that which she can nice get into. But she, yeah. she, yeah, that's what I think, I think you're alluding to, but she yeah. um, definitely knows Achilles. So Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. What's the weather like up there right now for Kyle's sake? Well, when Kyle texted me that it was five degrees, I had to roll my eyes because we just got done with about a week of negative 30. <laughs> oh, you're such a little bitch, man. I mean, come on. <laughs> it was She's negative 30. She, Laura said, she said, talk to me when it's negative 30. And I said, Laura, I just told you I can't move. It's too cold already. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but we got in the 30s nice. and they're going to, they close schools down here and that's not negative 30. That's like regular 30. Yeah. So. yeah. They don't, with schools closing here, it has everything to do with if the buses run in the morning. So like if they can't start the buses and they cancel school and living here 12 years now, 11, 12 years, that has maybe happened three times, wow. but this isn't unusual. Wow. We get like a week that's like negative 20, negative 30 but my pipes froze at my clinic. It was- Yeah, I was gonna say, you, your pipes have to freeze at that temperature. Well, normally uh, they bury them pretty deep, so that shouldn't happen. But I think the contractor maybe was from California or something and didn't, <laughs> totally <laughs> can't, didn't bury them deep enough. Freaking prune prickers. Because <laughs> if, if you go Pickers. too deep, it causes an earthquake. Y'all, I mean, that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! I was in Lincoln, Nebraska, working with the Cornhuskers a long time ago in the middle of freaking winter. And um, I was driving. I had a rental to the airport and I had to pull over because I couldn't handle the ice and the snow and everything. And a school bus passed me by oh, my <laughs> like <word>. with kids on. <laughs> yep. Wow. Yep. Kids are hardy here. I was, yeah. That's what I was terrified of was driving when I went to Wisconsin because I was like, man, the snow and if it's on the roads, it's so scary yeah and you did two courses and i did two classes i did i did a lot of driving actually but it was okay they they do a great it's really to me i found it fascinating that they're able to get their roads so drivable so quickly it was pretty impressive because if they had that kind of snow down here yeah it would they got be, the equipment for it it's ridiculous it'd be a, yeah it'd be out of control so well enough about the weather we're like old yeah. people right now talking seriously but Laura, so tell us a little bit about yourself, your your early career, why you you, you started, I guess, in Washington, um, Tacoma area, right? And then you went to the uh, the coolest place there is right now in, in America. But give us a little background. 
Yeah, I grew up in Tacoma, Washington, and I didn't get too far for college. I stayed at University of Puget Sound and graduated in 2001. So I guess I'm on the later end of my career at this point, but I've always worked in sports rehab. Um, started out at a great sports clinic in Tacoma and Good Harbor uh, with one of my mentors. And about 10 years later, we kind of decided we wanted a change of pace and move to Bozeman um, so we could enjoy the recreation, ski, and get away from traffic. And, you know, little did we know COVID would, you know, add to our traffic issues here in Bozeman, at least what we think is traffic issues. But um, no regrets. I love living in Montana. It's it's awesome. It's beautiful. <clears throat> and the population here is really active. So lots of ACL reconstructions, of course, with skiing and stuff like that. So patient population is definitely um, amazing here. And I worked at a physician-owned clinic for a long time, probably about the first seven years I lived here. So got a ton of experience working alongside surgeons. Um, and then about five years ago, actually five years ago to the month, I opened my own practice. And that wasn't really, that wasn't super intentional, uh, especially this late in my career. It was just kind of like, I had the patient population and following here in Bozeman. I just needed the actual physical space. So that's kind of how that that uh, came to be. Was that a scary leap? Uh, not, not really, to be honest. Um, I think it's because, you know, I'm married. And so we have another source of income, you know, mm -hmm. with my husband and stuff. So financially it was, I mean, of course it's scary, but I really felt like the people were in place. I just needed the physical location. And so like the first month or the first week, actually, I think I had 17 patients already and then got busy awesome. enough three months later to bring on a PT assistant who um, is also an athletic trainer, but her and I worked together for years when she was at Montana State University. So things happen pretty quickly. And then of course, COVID. Yeah. Uh, and I thought I would like, I thought I was going to lose everything during that time. Us too. <laughs> <Everyone>. <laughs> I, was, yeah. I was like, well, we had a good run. Yep. It was, good, it was a good two years. Yeah. <laughs> one year. No, I had been open for one year when that happened. So um, so no no regrets. I, I decided to expand recently a couple months ago and add a gym. So we have a pretty sweet 24-hour access gym attached. So we blew a, a hole through the wall in our waiting area that goes into the gym. And then there's another door that people can access anytime they want. But it's really geared towards barbell athletes and yeah. the space we needed um, PT wise. So now we have, we've doubled our space. So we have about 6,000 square feet um, in total. Yeah. yeah, I saw a picture of the gym, it's dope. You, you yeah, rack that thing out with some nice stuff, man. I like to spend money and that's probably <laughs> a problem. <laughs> I like nice stuff. <laughs> yeah. I wish my wife was like, I like to spend money on rogue racks and um, barbell right. equipment. Oh. Yeah. I'm married to somebody who likes to spend money on cars. So uh, 
that is <laughs> that's a whole conversation <laughs> nice well congrats man that's awesome and so obviously i guess going back you know you see this all the time and i've you know, we, we teach all over the country and you, you see a lot of people so burned out with PT right now, you know, sometimes it's pretty sad, but I think it's pretty awesome to have had a career for a while before you branch out on your own and you've built all those relationships and, you know, your, your management style and all that sort of stuff. So I think, yeah, you see people like right out of school, I'm going to just start a little private practice thing and, or a, or a cash practice thing or whatever, but man, Get some get some skins on the wall first, I think. Yeah, and I think I don't know. I don't think I would have been very successful if I did this any earlier because I feel like I kind of I mean, I'm always getting better as a clinician, but after you know, 15 years, you kind of have the reps in, right? And so you can focus on more of the business part of things. And I think it would be really hard to try to be a good business owner and you know, build up your abilities as a clinician and get the reps in. It's, I, I mean, I personally think it's really hard to do both well. And so what usually suffers for me is the business part of things. Yes. They really like to market, but I also think if you do a good job as a clinician, your patients do the marketing for you. Yep. So 100%. I, just, I just keep telling myself that. <laughs> it's true. It's true. We haven't, we haven't had a salesperson you know, we're going to be hitting 10 years here soon. We haven't had a salesperson this entire time. It's just hundred percent. We're yeah. All word of mouth. We don't really do any, I mean, you see our social, it's, it's no, no offense, Kyle, but we don't have hardly. Yeah. Much I'm, the, I'm the social media guy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I do all the so, design stuff. So. Weird too. Like I was really surprised at how many referrals we get, you know, like as recommendations from people in other States you know, like where well, they have a patient. It's so, I would have never guessed that in a thousand years, how many referrals we get from like some PT knows me from social media and recommends our clinic. It's, yeah, so that's like, cool. it's such a huge compliment. Well, forever before we knew Bozeman was a thing, I mean, years ago, it was like, why is everyone looking for a PT that does BFR in Bozeman? Remember that call where yep. it's always like, you know, because someone will send a text. Who do we know in Bozeman, Montana? I'm like, another one? Like, what is going on in Bozeman, Montana? I should have freaking started buying real estate right then. Yeah. There, but oh, yeah. 100%. It's so expensive here now. It's yeah. travesty. It's pretty well, much now. like California where I live. Yeah. Um, so similar, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And now when we get those texts, we say, Laura, <laughs> go to Laura, go to Laura. Laura. <laughs> Speaking of that, Fill us in a little bit then, you know, we know ACLs obviously and sports, you know, ski injuries, grizzly bear injuries, whatever you guys have up there. But, um, you know, your kind of background with Achilles, let's get into what's going on with Achilles, how Achilles, let's just talk about repairs. And, uh, you know, I don't think we have to go through the ideology of, of what happens when you tear an Achilles. It's old people like me who try and play a sport and and they pop it or it's an athlete, eccentric load, yada, yada, you pop your Achilles. Um, there was an old way it was repaired. It was kind of the classic way forever. And now we've got this new technique, which has really been a game changer. So you, you want to go into that a little bit, Laura? Yeah. So when I moved here, um, like I mentioned before, I worked in a surgeon owned practice. And so um, for about a year and a half when I was there, I worked directly with a foot and ankle surgeon. 
Um, mm -hmm. He didn't have a PA, and so worked in the office with him. We needed like twice a week and took sutures out, boots off, referred to PT, all of that stuff. And I was just really shocked at how many Achilles repairs we were actually doing in a town this size because I didn't see a whole lot of them before. And I really came to love them because they're challenging in a number of different ways. But um, when I was there, I probably had like eight or nine patients at a time <clears throat> with Achilles repairs. And initially we were doing like the direct, like the Krakow stitching, I think mm -hmm. they call it the direct repair to the tenon. And um, about 10 years ago, uh, he started using Speedbridge um, with Achilles repairs because uh, one of the surgeries that that's done for insertional Achilles tendinopathy is where they take the tendon off the calcaneus, clean it, and then reattach it. Yeah, yeah. Yep, and um, augment it with the flexor hallucis long longest, I believe. Mm -hmm. And these these patients were usually older. You know, they had the chronic insertional tendinopathy but they would just crush their rehab. Yeah. So it always led to the conversation, like why these guys are actually like push them harder than we can, you know, our athletes with the Achilles repair. And so this particular surgeon decided to start doing that with the cares. And we didn't really have a protocol per se for the idea how how much harder you can push them. It was all kind of trial and error. And that that's really the beauty of when you have a PT and a surgeon pair up, you know, and have these ongoing conversations, like how hard could we, could we push these things? What can we change in the protocol? And we changed a ton over the course of several months after seeing these. Um, I always wonder like how much, what's the pullout force, you know, of a mm -hmm. speed bridge? Like how far can I actually push this? And I remember asking him a clinic one day and he's like, I don't know, you should try it. <laughs> like, <laughs> he was like, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but, you know, we worked together for a while and kind of, you know, came up with this protocol. And I, I still try to change it a little bit because I do think, um, I do think we're still probably underloading. Yep. the Achilles repair. It's just, nobody wants to be the person that just F's it up. Yeah. yeah. Whoop, that was too far. So, yeah. Yeah. So like the speed bridges, I don't think is necessary. I guess 10 years would be considered new sort of. In well, that's what's interesting. I think that's an important point. Like after, you know, Aaron Rodgers surgery, I had all these media people start calling me because, you know, he, they were talking about he was going to be starting BFR real quick with it, which, you know, he did, but um, they're like this new technique, the speed bridge, that, you know, Dr. Elitrosh did it's, it's, you know, like almost like he just invented this thing yesterday. And it's like, well, this is like a decade old thing now. Um, Arthrex has had this like thing that. out forever. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's kind of new, but not really, but obviously it's, it's, it's in the spotlight now. Um, and I guess just to kind of highlight details here, when you're talking about, you know, how hard could you push it or pull it out? So the old old way, you know, the the kind of line from the surgeons was it was tying two mop ins together. So you're trying to do a direct repair with this crack out stitch. So you're just using stitches to suture the two end and the two tendon pieces together. And the, you know, I'm I'm 
older than, than you are, Laura, here with us. You know, I graduated in the 90s, but back in the day, it was like, okay, they all get pretty much stretched out, it seems like. You know, you almost never saw this like perfect kind of anatomical positioning, and you're going to see atrophy, some some severe atrophy years later. You know, you just looked at any of these individuals that had these Achilles repairs that way. Um, they just never got their power back. They had atrophy because the tendon would just stretch out over time. And the atrophy was huge because, I mean, we were talking months where you were oftentimes in the early days, non-weight bearing. And finally, we got to start weight bearing them. And then you could not do any sort of plantar flexion. You know, if, you know, I, you know, I did the uh, with the foot and ankle society with Dracos, the HSS foot and ankle guys, you know, and, and basically their protocol was that first six, eight weeks, they just go home and do nothing. Um, yes, yeah. they, they, yeah. they didn't want them to touch it. So imagine what that does to the calf. So now the speed bridge, um, they do the repair. So they, they run sutures um, and they're, they're not knotted, but they run sutures using this little Arthrex device. Arthrex is a, a, one of the biggest orthopedic medical device companies at the proximal. So above the tear. And then they drill two holes into the calcaneus and they will pull those sutures, which are above. So they're not at the repair. They're above it and anchor them into the bone. So now you have a bony fixation, um, yep. which is much, much stronger. And like I said, the, the tensile force that it can handle would be how hard can you pull on those anchors and how hard could you pull on those sutures that are in the anchor? So it would be a lot of force to be able to do that. But then once you put it in that anchor, you just basically pull the two ends together. I don't know if your folks use it. A lot of times they will shoot an orthobiologic in there as well to try and augment healing. Um, and you get this kind of direct repair without it being a direct repair. And all the force is going directly through the calcaneus and that proximal portion of the Achilles. Game Crazy. changer. Yes. Right? <laughs> right. Makes and sense. now we're able to, I think one of the biggest things is begin plantar flexion like quick. You know, I, I pulled up the Arthrex protocol um, and, it, it, I, you know, I think we're pushing this a little bit earlier than even this, but um, at week two is when you can start plantar flexion, progressive plantar flexion resistance with a speed bridge compared to six to eight weeks before in a cast, right? So game changer. Thank so what do you, can you give us some of your, like when you guys with a speed bridge, will start weight bearing when they actually would start doing some, some plantar flexion stuff when they get out of their boot at, at your yeah, place. So our, so they're non weight bearing the first two weeks, they're just in mm -hmm. a, you know, post-ops plant or whatever. So they're starting PT at two weeks. And at that point they're weight bearing as tolerated, but they're on crutches because they've got a big um, heel lift wedge inside the boot to keep them in a little bit of plantar flexion to prevent any kind of over lengthening of the tendon early on. And then we uh, remove layer by layer until they're in neutral in their boot at four weeks. I tend to, <laughs> I tend to keep a layer in there a little. Yeah. It doesn't hurt, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. funny because it's always this, like, I've warned the patient, you're going to go in and he's going to want you to take the, the heel lift out, but just leave it in. Yeah. Um, I want them a little bit tighter, right? So that's all. I mean, with my interns, I would always tell my yeah. interns, I want, I would rather have a tight Achilles than a lengthened Achilles. Yes. So let's, let's leave those lifts in there. Yep. Yeah. 
Yep. So, um, so we get them at two weeks and we start immediate isometrics. So what I'll do is, and I like to monitor them and I, I'm not so sure you even really need to monitor it. Cause like, I don't think you can produce enough force in your calf no. at that point to do not at that point. Repair. Yeah. Right. No. So like, do you need to set a ceiling to them and say, okay, I'm not going to have you push harder than 15 pounds or whatever. I don't think you need to do that. Um, cause in my experience, if they can do, cause we'll, we'll have them sit on force plates, do like seated isometrics mm-hmm. and they're still, I'll put them on their wedge. So we're doing it in a little bit of plantar flexion and just work on loading the, the tendon and I'll give them like a target or like a ceiling they can't go past. And most people, they tap out at like 40 pounds of force, probably. Yeah. Um, if you think about like, and I have had people re-rupture before, I've had two in my career and it's probably the most horrifying thing ever, but I had one guy and I can't remember if he was speed bridge or not. I kind of think he wasn't, but when those go bad, um, it's usually because they like, overstressed it so like they're in the boot and they step on a stair and they don't have the full boot yeah, on the they stair had an eccentric yeah. lever. both times that's how it happened so i don't think it's like producing force through your calf i think it's just that um overstretch that yeah happen. eccentric load yeah mm-hmm. into stretch yeah yep so and that that particular guy i'm getting off track here but that <laughs> that particular because no, it's, it's i have ptsd from it the week before <laughs> suddenly had a lot more dorsiflexion. Like that is a big red flag. He came in and I always take, I always test the tension of the repair mm-hmm. and subtalar neutral and kind of dorsiflex their foot and see where I'm feeling tension. You do and, that in pr- you have them like prone and check yep. that. Yeah. 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 That's what this we is did, kind so. of my little like beginning assessment. Let's yeah. you know, do this a little bit. And I think he had like suddenly five or 10 degrees more. Like you get so used to feeling these things over time. It's like, ugh, that is not, and what can you do at that point? Right. And this guy was like, not behaving. Yeah. Let's just say that he was not behaving. And, um, I just had this gut feeling this thing's going to go. And sure enough, like the next week he stepped on the first stair of his like front porch or something like that. And just, I was like, oh, you always feel responsible, right? I know it wasn't my fault, but it's still my patient and awful. Anyway, I got off track. So, well, we're so, opposite there. I always <laughs> blame the patient for everything. My toxic trait, but yeah. So with the isometrics, I don't think they're not gonna like sit there and push too hard with their forefoot and have the whole thing explode. So you yeah. just like with anything progressively load them document how much they're able to do and just increase that week by week but you start them on the force plate seated bent knee and straight knee do you go for go at both yeah okay just seated see what you can put out we'll do like a five second hold um six second rest you know quite a few reps and that's what they'll do at home so sometimes i'll have them do it on a scale so they know exactly how much pressure they're putting on but like to be honest i don't think that's necessarily something you really need to monitor i just don't think they have force output to pull the to pull the um, speed bridge out so what's nice is uh there's a paper that came out a few years ago um josh baxter 
and he looked at Achilles tendon loads with different tasks. It's great. So you can kind of, you can kind of follow through that. Now they're looking at healthy tendon, not repaired yeah. tendon. So you kind of have to have your like mental conversion factor in there, but it gives you an idea. Like if walking is what four times your body weight force through your Achilles tendon, what are all the things that you can do? That's not that. Cause like, if you take a person out of the boot at six weeks, so they're in a boot for six weeks, we take them out of the boot and they're walking, but they've got four times their body weight going through, yeah. right? So they should be able to do all the other things listed, you know, in this paper, that's not equal to walking. That makes right. any sense. And that's including, I mean, we start double calf raises at six weeks. If we did that back in the day, oh my God. You would get shot. The surgeon oh. would, yeah. Freak out. And yeah. you know, it's and it goes it goes well. So yeah, six six weeks they're doing double double calf raises. And I, I think that's an important point to give your patients as well, because I've had enough broken, you know, I've broken my my tibia and my fibula, you know, so I've been in a cam boot and it just sucks. And there's times where you're like, oh fuck it, I don't really need this boot right now to go to the bathroom. Um, but the you know, the role of the Achilles when you walk is to lengthen and give power. The the gastroxoleus complex actually just goes into isometry and it kind of just gives a base for the tendon to work off of in the calcaneus. So you're putting all of that load basically through that Achilles and making sure the patients understand that, you know, week two, if you're just kind of walking around to the bathroom, even if you're flat footing it, you you might be stretching this bad boy out. Yep. Yep. So we're pretty, you know, keep the boot on and all that stuff. But I, I pulled out this paper and just, just to make a point, you know, um, I would encourage everybody to just kind of look at this. So we'll put it in our like show notes. Low, yeah. Low step up, standing heel raises, high step up with the lead leg lunges, you know, all of those things are lower forces through the tendon than walking. So you could take this paper and say, um, you know, these are all of the exercises we're going to do because as long as the person's walking, I know that's what the forces are going through the tendon and they should be able to handle all of these other things, which there's a whole long list of it. So that makes it, I mean, I wish, I'm not sure what year that came out. It wasn't super long ago. And then, uh, let's see. You know how Josh measured that? Was that with like an indwelling kind of tensionometer in the Achilles or? I have no idea. Yeah. I need to read that. I see the good stuff and I ignore the rest, but yeah. I, it's, that, paper's <laughs> been that paper's been cited a lot. And then uh, yeah. Ron Whiteley out in the Aspatar. Yep. yep. Uh, he and Demo, I think it's Demangio. I'm going to botch this last name so bad. Um, They're all Greek. Yeah, did that systematic oh. review and um, kind of like re republished all of those things. But I think it's just a nice little guide to show us, like, don't be so scared of it. Like mm -hmm. you got to respect the healing process, obviously, but I think we end up tiptoeing around it. And then these people get just super, atrophied and you're not loading the tendon and then you get to later stages you know like very time-based oh it's 12 weeks we're gonna start jumping but they haven't yes. done shit or that like right. that's yeah. what's gonna get you into trouble they have a tibia for a calf muscle 
basically. And you're like, cool, let's run now. Yeah. 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 I you think know, we, that it's an important point to make. I mean, Laura and I had this conversation a while back, but you know, when we, I think sometimes we, we hear four times weight bearing and we, we kind of don't really like put it in a context a little bit to like what we are doing in the clinic with resistance exercise. So like, for example, when we talk, say tendon rehab or, or excuse me, tendinopathy rehab, we start saying heavy loads and we're associating that with an 85% of somebody's one repetition maximum. Um, and, you know, that was kind of the, 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 the discussion around BFR in some ways is like, well, how could BFR be good for the tenant? It's only a 30% a load or a 20% load. But when you put that in the context of what the Achilles has the capacity to sustain, 85% of one rep max is a lot closer than to a 30% than it is to four times body weight, you know? So it, it, it heavy load in context is not really all that heavy, you know? Um, and so I think, you know, that in some ways, if you think about it like that, it might help you kind of go, all right, well, man, I can really load this person really pretty heavy pretty soon. If I know that they can take four times body weight, just walk it, you know? Yep. Bro, yep, my 80% one RM on my, on my calf is like 900 pounds, bro. So... <laughs> I don't know what your point is. Johnny's. So you do, you do have to say, okay, like this is this is uh, also yeah. a healing repaired tendon, just to take it with a grain of salt. You know, they're looking right. at healthy tendons. I'll reiterate that again, just so yeah. I can get like right. you said that I could be doing this stuff. But like, yeah, you do have to take that into consideration. Obviously, well, we have but... we have a disclaimer on this podcast just for these <laughs> problems. <laughs> you got to yeah. test the water. I don't know, you know the you gotta... plot, right? I still don't know the pullout strength of that speed bridge. No one can do that. But um, yeah, so like with Achilles repairs, they're, they're just so fun to rehab because it's like a challenge. Like how hard can I push this person? You know, how close can I get to the sun without being burnt? Mm -hmm. um, and get them back earlier. So like this stuff with Aaron Rodgers comes out and I'm just like, none of that's weird to me. Yeah. We're losing their shit on Twitter. Like this guy, oh my God, yeah. he's throwing a football. He's throwing. Yeah. <laughs> he's throwing like super early. I think those in the know, you know, that was, that was really the thing. And people were reaching out to me and it's like, I mean, this is pretty cool. And some of it was a little bit exaggerated of what he maybe was already doing, but yeah. it wasn't. I mean, look at Cam Akers, you know, from the, from the right. Rams. If he basically went through the exact same thing, same surgeon, same repair, pretty much the same rehab. You know, he was out there at Heather's place in LA. And then with Reggie and those guys at the Rams started BFR really early, progressed it through, followed all the, the, the pretty much same things you're talking about, Laura, from what I understand dudes in the Super Bowl in five months, like runs for like 120, you know, 120 yards or something like that. Yeah. So that's where the paradigm has shifted where five, three, four, five months and you're getting back to decent activity isn't going to be unheard of now with this. No, not, not at all. Like back in the day when I were <laughs> yeah. new grads, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, heck no. Like your career is over. <laughs> yep. Yep. When you do that. Well, now, you know, I just don't think the protocols have really kept up with where we're at. You know, no. like 
trajectory wise. And so when people and, see like that, they're like, oh my God, he's going to re-tear it. I think it just ends up being more um, like the deficits are more performance related than than anything. Like the re-tear rates of Achilles at a year, I think is less than 3%. Like there's really, it's really unlikely you're going to re-tear it at that point. Um, you'll probably tear the other side. It's just more like performance. Do you have that experience? capacity back um things well and that's i think a great point and people i i think when you are dealing with a torn tendon and if you don't really kind of understand the physiology and the healing of it people get so because everyone at the start is like oh my god if they do anything you're screwed you better not do anything but pendulums with that rotator cuff so you're like oh my god okay this thing is so fragile at, at 12 weeks that dude like is like, paper. yeah, that at 12 weeks, that thing is like solid and it's probably even more robust because it's so full of scar now, you know, you see it, the tendon's like hypertrophic in these people, oh, yeah, it's the, the tendon's, tendon's almost bigger than their damn calf. Um, so yeah. the tendon's fine. You're, you're all good. Um, your job at this point was, was I able to keep the muscle on? you know, mm -hmm. pretty much and then get to that third month. And now, you know, it's rock and roll because the Arthrex protocol at week 12, starting centric loading, moving to power and sports training, you know, yeah. they know, I mean, in three months, you're good to go. So nothing's crazy. If you've got the muscle at that point, you're good. Our, our problem would be these people, they would be stretched and they would probably be perfectly healed, but they didn't have the muscle. And so you're like another six months just trying to recover all of that atrophy um and then it's impossible to get your power back in a calf with a stretched achilles um so that that thing was never going to come back um so i th i think that paradigm shifts totally different and there, there was a paper um brett owens who's a former one of our former military surgeons he's a he's out now in civilian practice but they looked at factors of return to play in the nfl after achilles tendon and so this would be old data 2009 to 2014 and only 61% of Achilles repairs return to play in the NFL. Um, so that kind of shows you how poor the out. And that was on average 12 months post-op that those people would actually get back to return to play. So how the paradigm shift is where you got a running back in the Super Bowl, you got Aaron's already out there throwing and practicing, you know, it, basically under three months, it looks like. Totally different paradigm. If the old protocols were, I think some of the older ones pre speed bridge um, allowed running at 12 weeks. Well, that's like seven times your body weight through the Achilles tendon. You know, yeah. That's a lot. Yes. Like, what are you doing between six weeks and 12 weeks to get somebody to, you know, like if right. you made that like a spectrum or whatever in between there, we're getting nowhere near that probably in our rehab. No. So. Yeah, because you're doing like TheraBand the first six to eight weeks, you know, so you're you're just losing weeks of like no actual strengthening on this thing. Um, so you and might get maybe, run. <laughs> yeah, you might get three to four weeks and let's run with that, with that no calf type of thing. So. I, I hadn't like, I hadn't used BFR before until like since I opened my practice five years ago I've only had a handful of Achilles repair patients because I'm not at the physician practice anymore but I had somebody recently and I reached out to Kyle I'm like okay I want to do some BFR with this person because she's a really high level CrossFit 
athlete. And so that's like, that was like my first experience using BFR um, with an Achilles repair. Use it a lot with ACLs and other stuff. Just hadn't with Achilles repair. And I don't know if it was that or. Oh, it was that. <laughs> else. but i was looking at her her because i'll do force testing every month i was looking at that data the other day because i thought you were probably going to ask me that but at 12 weeks her affected side she was able to produce 1.2 times her body weight with an isometric test and on her left 1.67 so at 12 weeks she was already 73 percent symmetric close, close, so like yeah. the goal would be to produce force equal to twice your body weight um you know from you would measure that at the ball of your foot but i i was a little surprised that she was already at 73 percent so it's yeah. like was it the bfr was it because i was like completely type a about her rehab and measuring every little thing did i really she's need a really that? good athlete you know, like genetics yeah. uh, motivation all the other things and then at 16 weeks she was already 81 percent nice so like for somebody to say okay aaron Rodgers, you're going to return at four months that was the goal i think i still think that's pretty reasonable i 100 yeah, like the position you know yeah. like a quarterback is probably Hopefully has a good O line, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, well, and it's his front leg, you know, so it's not as he's not sitting there kind of putting that eccentric load over and over on the back leg. So he had even a little bit better opportunity. You know, that's the thing too is with positions. If it was another position, who knows if that's realistic? Would they have their power at that point? Um, yeah. you know, certainly yeah. capacity, but maybe not maybe not the power. So again, where you start talking about like just performance deficits for a bit in there, but at what point is like, is it good enough to withstand like re-tearing it again? Yeah. Or like you said, the, the contralateral. Mm -hmm. and Laura, I know um, if you would speak maybe to really trying to restore strength or force um, kind of in that fully plantar flex position. Cause I know you, you kind of spend a little bit extra, maybe focus on that and maybe share how you're going about that, what your thought process is there, that kind of thing. Yeah. So the two, the two adverse or things you're trying to prevent with this whole thing is over lengthening of the tendon. That's a really poor outcome for a lot of different reasons, but um, because of that, you lose a lot of your end range strength. So depending on the sport, the person does, um, could be like really bad for some and some may not notice, but uh, you, you don't want to over lengthen the tendon. And a lot of these guys have uh, lost strength at end range. And so my, my thought process is that's where we're going to work. Like you want to work mid range, right? Cause you're going to be the strongest there. So if you're just trying to build up strength, we're going to hang out mid range, but you're also going to want to do some things in the end range. And that would be like, I'll have people do calf raises on a decline. I just try to get them up on that last little bit. <clears throat> and so we'll do, because that range of motion is so small and restricted and you taught me is throw some BFR on there and, you know, use their BF, use their body weight with the BFR and just kind of target that end range stuff off the D-line. Even then, posterior tibialis as well. 
working on yeah. that. You know, it kind of helps that last little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then what, when we do our course testing, we also look at like a one rep heel raise height and measure that over time. And you would obviously want that to be symmetric. I think this person ended up being at this maybe she, I think she was like a centimeter different side to side. And I was like stoked with that. That's awesome. That's awesome. So can you get in, what, what is so cool that you're doing and what um, helps is you, you're testing constantly. So can you go over your kind of battery of test? Are you, are you just doing force play and can you kind of go in what your protocol is, how you would do force play testing? Are you doing dynamometry um, or, or any other tests? So we, so I have an isokinetic dynamometer. Um, so I could do like an isokinetic test for the plantar flexors. It's a little goofy it just because I'm having a hard time keeping the heel locked in. Yeah. And so like after a lot of different iterations, we finally came up with just using the four plates and looking at force output isometrically. So they're in like, um, I think the the study by Seth O'Neill was in max dorsiflexion and the normative data would be twice your body weight. So force production equal to twice your body weight in max dorsiflexion. I don't wanna force test somebody there cause they're lengthened and this is Achilles repair. So mm -hmm. we'll do it in like probably five degrees of dorsiflexion, neutral to five degrees. Um, and then I have, um, I have their legs kinda, so they're seated kind of hard to explain how this would look and their legs are strapped down with ratchet straps so they're so they're locked in and they can't plant they, they can't lift their heel and we use the force plates just to measure the force output so we do that every month and then i'll do like a single leg calf rise test so they're doing how many calf raises they can do on single leg and maintain height so that part's important once they start dropping their heel i'm not going to count that rep how do you measure that? Um, like visually. Visually, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, That's what I was wondering. Yeah, I, I don't know if you had something fan. We would use a yardstick <laughs> and just put it yeah. there. So okay. So I have a tape, I have a, like a tape measure when we do a one rep thing where I'm looking at how high their heel comes up. That's another test. I just want to see like how much end range, how how high the heel comes up. And then um, so I eyeball it and then we do like one rep every two seconds and see how many they can do side to side. Nice. And then uh, we'll do a, I'll just measure circumference. I think Kyle will tell you that was driving me nuts. Cause I think we ended up at one and a half centimeter circumference difference. And that was driving me freaking nuts. <laughs> like it didn't bother back. the patient at it's all, but I, <laughs> I was like, I need this to be symmetric. And I don't know how realistic that actually is. Um, yeah. Anyway, the muscle those, changes after yeah. this. Yeah. yeah. And then we'll start doing some, some jump stuff on the force plates, like a counter movement jump and, um, single leg vertical, maybe a horizontal hop, hop cause that's a little more, um, ankle dominant, but, but the functional test, but what I'm really most, you know, interested is, is the force output. Yes. Aren't force plates badass. I'm so jealous that the majority uh, of my career we didn't have just the ease of you know we had a biomechanics lab and they'd be like yeah we can maybe see this person in eight weeks type of thing but force plates are are badass yeah it's a it's a love hate 
to be perfectly honest. Because <laughs> <laughs> the, the learning curve, and I'm I'm a slow, I'm a slow learner. Um, the learning curve was pretty steep. And I've had them long enough where I think now there's so many great courses you can take to get kind of the clip notes on them. But initially I was like just on my own trying to figure them out and relearn physics and figure out what metrics are meaningful to me and what aren't and what things depend on other things. Cause it's like, you can't just look at one thing. You got to look at all the factors that create differences in jump height. It could be velocity. It could be impulse. It could be, you know, um, counter movement depth, you know, all of those, all of those things. And then we have a, there's a, a paper that I was editor on a few years back. It gets cited a ton. Um, it was how new technologies improving physical therapy. And there was a really big force plate section in it. That I think it was done by the, uh, the Olympic folks up in Boulder of oh, nice. kind of what's good to measure and what their tests are and, and things like that. So if anyone's interested, I think it's open access. Yeah. And I think, I think like just data collection in general, it sounds so obvious. Why wouldn't you collect data? But we just historically haven't as a profession. Yeah. And I totally do now. And I think that's made me such a better PT. It makes you look bad if you collect data. So I, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, there's that. There's that. Be honest. Like yeah. those patient reported outcome measures. I hate those. <laughs> it's yeah. the ultimate transparency, right? Yeah. Like I tell yeah. patients, if you don't improve this month like where did i f up yeah yeah it's not it's like not the patient's issue sometimes it might be part of it but what am i not doing what am i not what am i missing because you should see something change every our chief time. of sports medicine at our base <laughs> his line was um nothing ruins a perfect surgery like follow-up <laughs> 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 they walk out. They're like, "That was the best surgery ever." Oh wait, you're not doing good. Uh, Laura, I got a, I got a question, um, and this is just a curiosity. I'm maybe um, asking you something that you don't have an answer for, so it's fine if you say, "I got no clue, Kyle." Um, but I was just thinking with with Achilles rehab, um, and then kind of thinking ACL rehab. Um, you know, and we have the work from Sue Sigward and, and Matt Chan out here at USC where where they've, you know, put the little things in their shoes and they can see that they, um, that, that patients adopt different movement strategies based upon um, the fact that they had an, a, a, uh, an ACL reconstruction. And, and even just like to the trained eye, you can, you can watch them move. Um, and they look like they're moving normally, but the, but the little foot plate is kind of picking up that they're not, that they're basically shielding the quad, if you will. So I, I'm just kind of curious if like with Achilles rehab and using the force plates, have you like been observing kind of picking up on some of that? Cause I have a hard time believing it's, it's just ACL that does that. Um, actually not on the force plates. Cause I was looking at this particular person's force plate data and she really, um, she didn't have uh, her most asymmetry was like a repeated hop test where you start looking at um, like a fast stretch shortening cycle somewhere like mm -hmm. that tendon stiffness and that's not unusual um you know that would be that would be something you'd see but now that you're bringing that up do you remember me telling you like this person after we started jumping 
she got a stress reaction in her fourth yep. and fifth tarsal. And I had to like, like abort the mission for a little bit, for a bit. And in talking to her, she's like, I don't think it was the jumping. I just feel like I've been walking on the outside of my foot forever. And you couldn't really see it in her gait, but she is an athlete. And so she felt this over a long period of time. So I think she, I think to answer your question, yes, I think people will load their foot differently, like maybe go out on the lateral part of the foot. It's not something that I could see on the force plate, but because that happened and that was the first time that's ever happened. And um, it just makes me, it makes me wonder that. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes you kind of wonder if, you know, something maybe could be on the horizon for us in terms of just kind of like a, a more of a constant monitoring type thing. So we get people, we get some data on people moving just normally, you know, like how they, how they, you know, instead of what we kind of test in a controlled environment, I mean, the, the controlled tests I think are, are enormously valuable, but they're also controlled, you know, and, and how people are kind of selecting to move could really have some value as well. So I think like, I think it's one of those surgeries too, that people have so much like memory of how awful that was when it has happened. So like almost, mm. almost some PTSD from it. And so they get a little, this is where the reassurance comes in, right? They get a little like that first time you let them jump or that first time you let them run, there's just this look of fear on their face. Like, are yeah. you kidding me? Um, and so like, that makes me think, yeah, of course you would try to avoid loading your calf as much as you can. Cause you know, that's, you know, scary to the person. Like I knew this patient had the capacity to start jumping. Right. Cause I measured it. Um, but there was something that she was doing to avoid it that probably overloaded the lateral part of her foot. So we ended up with those stress reactions. I almost forgot all about that until I was going through her Sorry. Stuff. Thanks, Kyle, asshole. No, my bad. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. Well, at least she didn't pop her tendon like your other one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, I, I, that makes me curious then. Do you think that maybe in the future you'll provide just some direction to people in terms of, cause I know like, like Eric has kind of conjectured, you know, maybe we really should kind of avoid having people after ACL re reconstruction do like a squat or like a, almost like a closed kinetic chain type movement, because we know that they're going to shield the quad when they do that. Um, and so his thought being, let me remove any opportunity for this person to develop this alternate strategy because they're going to have plenty of opportunity to be doing this like on their own. Why should I feed that system if you will? So I wonder if you had maybe thoughts on like, maybe there's some direction that you could give people to like, Hey, when you're walking, just kind of be mindful of this and try to maybe emphasize this or something like that. I think it's just different. Cause we're talking like an Achilles an Achilles tendon like you do want to put mm -hmm. load through it so I wouldn't have them avoid that versus like the ACL where it wasn't the quad that was repaired it's just dysfunctional and inhibited and and all that stuff so I think it's kind of like two different things um but you're also asking somebody to have normal mechanics after they've been non-weight bearing for two weeks and then they're mm -hmm. in like a wedge in their boot and then they're in a boot 
and then they're walking and you haven't let them stretch because I don't let them stretch the Achilles. So things are not going to look normal for a while just because of those, those things. And I kind of, I think if I change anything, maybe I need to work more on gait training, you know, like roll through the part of your foot, but I, I just don't kind of let them sort it out over time because that tendon's going to just lengthen with the lows they're putting through it on a daily basis naturally without actually having to stretch it. Uh, but I could maybe spend some time gate training. I probably won't just let them, let them figure it out. Cause I, I wouldn't expect it to look super normal for a while. Yeah. Just based on all the, the reasons that it said. Fair. Oh, we had the like off the shelf ideas that we actually would use on some of these really? in the early stages. Um, I don't know if you know what that is, Laura. It's like a this device that we built for trauma. It gave you Achilles power, but it was basically this long lever. And if you would roll yeah. into it right, you would feel it flex. And we it's that one's big and expensive, but we had these kind of off the shelf ones that we we would be able to use. And we would be able to put that on these guys pretty early, get them out of their boot. Yeah, And it also reinforced them. Like I've got something protecting me back there, but you can only walk in that thing. Right. If you would like roll heel toe and you feel that thing flex. <laughs> so it starts to pre-simulate it. And then we wanted them off of it really quick. Cause we didn't want them to just, you know, yeah. become dependent on it. But I always thought that would have been a cool study to look at. Would okay. that help people load that tendon a little better? Yeah. I do that instead of a boot or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can get like, you know, they call them like blue rockers and some of these autobock ones are, they're pretty similar. They're, they're just kind of a simulated Achilles power kind of more for a stroke patient, but it is maybe a cool way to start gait training. Because we would hate you to have to buy parallel bars and mess up that awesome gym, Laura. I don't have parallel bars. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm saying you would have to. Keep it that way. <laughs> yeah, then we want you to keep it that way. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. The fake staircase, you know, that goes into the wall. With two steps <laughs> oh, and... but I have a stair mill. Oh, yeah, that's good. I hate oh, that really? thing. I hate it. Oh, it's lovely. Well, <laughs> this is a BFR-centric podcast, so I think we need to go a little bit down the BFR wormhole here. So, Kyle, I did kind of pull up a bunch of paper piles of thoughts on this. So first off, is there potential adaptation at the tendon? It looks like the best work right now is coming from Germany, Chris Sentner's lab, who has shown in the Achilles, two papers now, um, that there is adaptation, not only in the muscle, but at the tendon. And he compared that to lift and heavy um, in, in this study. And so 30% 1RM would be a far versus 80%. I think it was 80% lifting heavy calf raises for um, 14 weeks. New paper, they did an MRI this time rather than ultrasound because they wanted to see the entire length of the tendon um, changes that could have happened there. And they saw a 5% increase in tendon size in both groups at the end of the intervention. Both were significant increases. Both also significantly increased their calf strength. His hypothesis was primarily the hypoxia and increased stem cell turning into tenocyte, you get uh, more collagen synthesis and that could be where they were seeing the hypertrophic changes at the Achilles. So if you are in some pretty good hypoxia, it does get a progenitor cell or stem cell release and those cells can differentiate and they can be kind of whatever sort of cells they might want to be or need to be. And they go to where the stress was. And so they ended up becoming tendon cells, 
we probably need a biopsy study similar to Jacob Nielsen's muscle study to show that that truly happened, but that's the hypothesis. The, um, just to look at where things are right now, the probably the biggest survey of surgeons that's been out there, 250, I think, surgeons on their BFR referral patterns, 31% are referring right now for Achilles tendon repairs. So that's a pretty high number. Um, the knee was the, the largest by far. ACL was the number one, but 31% right now are referring out for that. The first case series that was done was done by myself at the Department of Defense because no one had looked at the Achilles or Achilles repairs. Don't read that paper. It's terrible. I reread it. <laughs> we, we use isokinetic dynamometry, Laura. And, uh, you know, again, you know how unvalid it is. Um, but we did look at other things, uh, um, you know, some ability to capture. Did you do your stair ascension test? That's always your power one. We didn't in this one. It, it, it was it was a very small one. It was again trying to get out. I mean, I think this was like 2016. Get out to the world that this is something that maybe could be used for this. It was it was in the Journal of Foot and Ankle Surgery, so it was primarily geared towards orthopedic surgeons. And it was so not see. right. They were no, they were chronic non-responders. Oh, so it was like six months out, eight months out types. Oh. So yeah, our, at that time, our foot and ankle guys were too nervous to start early. So they would only give yeah. them the non-responders. Um, but we, you know, we hadn't been doing it on the clinical population um, for you know, only for a couple of years there. And it was tra primarily trauma. Yeah. But now we do have um, Dr. Dracos's trial at HSS. This was a randomized controlled trial. I, it's present. He presented it at the Financial Society, but I don't think it's published yet, right? No, I haven't been able to find it. Um, it's, you can yeah. find it on. Um, uh, I forgot which journal it is. It's one of the orthopedic journal. Oh, it's it's the American Foot and Ankle Society journal. They have the abstract on there right. if you look for it. But it was also all during COVID when this stuff was was happening. So I don't yeah. know if that changed it. Anyways, forty three subjects. Um, they either did kind of standard of care or they did the standard of care plus BFR for the, when they were doing their calf exercises um, and they did it and that's hard. He, when we presented together, he said when they started, I think they started fairly early, like two, three weeks out because um, of speed bridges on all these. And at three months for absolute peak torque and power, the BFR group was significantly better than the control group. So that's the only RCT we have out there right now as well. And then the last thing, which I thought was interesting, I'll share this one with you guys. A paper looked at tendon healing and VEGF and what do you need or not need? And basically their conclusion was VEGF is essential in the early phases of tendon healing and not good in the late phases of tendon healing. So the first like four to six weeks is kind of VEGF needs to be on board and has to be there. And the more, maybe the better. So this paper was looking at pharmacological VEGF and that yeah. they maybe will start giving it for that first four to six weeks and then doing an anti-VEGF drug in the later phases there. So you don't start to get this ingrowth of angiogenesis into the tendon as it's kind of going through its late stage remodeling, which I thought was interesting well. It works though, because if you're doing VFR, you're going to get this big VEGF response and you're yeah. probably going to be doing that that first four to six weeks yeah. post-op type of thing. So and it's probably different than 
getting it exogenously as that's a hundred percent too. Yeah. We don't know because then they go lift heavy and they're going to get a VEGF response. Yeah. So, but if you're giving them an anti-VEGF, which I don't even know how that works, but um, just an interesting thing on the VEGF piece. And so I, I think from a BFR perspective, tip of the spear type things right now that we're seeing is starting at kind of an IPC setting in the very early phases, those first few weeks, if, if everyone's cool with that, once they start plantar flexing, then move into BFR plantar flexing gently after that, the first couple of weeks, if they're, everyone's cool with it from there, the, then just continue to progress your, your plantar flexion with BFR and start doing more thigh exercises and then wean off at week four, the arthritis protocol says start cycling, just avoid, um, forced dorsiflexion. So you could also start BFR cycling at that point. And then if you're doing like Laura and badass, you know, test retest and start seeing their force output, start getting them off the BFR and onto the lifting heavy. Yeah, we started um hundred percent occlusion right at two weeks. I yeah. hadn't done that before. So we did full occlusion. Thanks, Kyle. Full yeah. occlusion uh <laughs> with the seated isometrics and active plantar flexion. Also, um we did some BFR cycling, so just pushing through the heels. So I'd have her just push on the on the heels with the that's good eighty percent occlusion. Yeah, if you Aaron Rodgers was on the Pat McAfee show and he's sitting there doing his interview, and you can hear his Delphi keeps going on and off because he's doing his IPC while he was on Pat McAfee. Um, I think it was at Heather's place during that. Yeah. So same thing, you know, started IPC Sorry. in that very early phase, and then. 100% same protocol. Keep BFR for low load, maybe start the bike with it. And then maybe hopefully at six to eight weeks, you can already wean them off. And, and this person had her own stat of BFR cups because I, I had rehabbed her her son's ACL. And so she had her own occlusion cuffs. Oh, so it was nice. nice. The nice thing about this case was we could be very specific and very um, just very specific with the calf because she had a coach and so like i let him handle everything else you know for crossfit and we would just communicate on what she could start doing but in the clinic we could be very specific with what needs bfr what does not what's the occlusion blah 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 and what are you going to do at home because she was doing something every day that might very explain cool. good outcomes too yes there Absolutely. You know, now I'm in this new recovering performance wormhole. And I think how the IPC prior to doing resistance training, some of those papers we were going over the other day, mm -hmm. yep. where you get this big old vaso. So if you do IPC, Laura, um, you you get a, a really big vasodilation response. Bradykinin goes up, adenosine goes up, NO goes up. And that vasodilation, when you have the same subjects do you know, kind of heavy strengthening exercises with or without doing IPC, the IPC side, not only they see more blood volume, but they saw that they could put more force output and just total volume was bigger. So that could be, if you wanted to kind of maybe do that as well, IPC, and then have them start doing moderate to heavy lifts without the BFR. And maybe they're eking out a little bit more force output and, and that vasodilation will last for a while. That, probably is still a good thing for tendon healing. So I think that's also kind of a diff different way to skin that cap. Mm -hmm. Yep. Other than that, man. Agreed. Agreed.
any last or parties? Well, you know what? One more thing, Kyle. Did you see that case series that came out yesterday? Or Laura? I don't know. You probably don't. I didn't, you're not a I didn't PFR nerd that sits there and looks at it all day. Um, you, have, you have shit to do. Kyle. You have shit to do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, I just asked Kyle. Yeah, that's good. And, and if it, you want a real answer, you could ask me or Ben or Zach. Um, uh, so, ouch. Tori, Jen. Ouch. Uh, oh, man. Shots a case fired. Anyway. Shots fired. Uh, Editing that out. Edit, cut, cut, edit it out. It was done over in Denmark. <laughs> uh, they did have an adverse event. I think maybe two of clots. Three adverse events, it says. Well, yeah, but two were re-ruptures. Two re-ruptures. Yeah, okay. And one clot. And one, and one DVT. So the okay. re-ruptures were kind of like your, your, your gentleman, Laura. They just did it off on their – they were off doing something and had a re-rupture. Um, the DVT, um, they did have, they were, but I think what's, you can't say or blame this, but their protocol, and they were also using, using kind of like a little pump up thing. It's it's not auto-regulating, it's not holding pressure, great, but they started at 30% limb inclusion pressure with these oh. individuals for like four weeks or something like that. So what that, what that does is cause venous congestion. So that's a, that's a surgical no-no. Because if you are blocking the vein off um, and you're letting 100% arterial flow in, you're basically just getting a congestion of blood in the veins. And so um, I, I would say a, another reason where you don't want a super low LOP potentially, um, but they did get a clot in that population. They did that 30% LOP. So. I wonder why they chose that. That's an odd, I mean, it's just yeah, an odd number really, to choose. I don't think really I've ever weird. seen anybody choose that in a paper. Yeah. It was like they did 30% LLP. And then when they were done with their BFR, they would lay on their back and cycle with their legs in the air to try and get the blood out. I mean, it was, it was all kind of wacky. So take this study with a grain of salt. But, okay. Yeah. All right. um, I don't have a study. Delphi, but I just will remeasure limb occlusion pressure with a Doppler every month, especially when they're doing it at home. You know, yeah, for like, sure. Yeah, things change. Contraindications, and you know, this is I, I'll even like calculate it for them. This is eighty percent LOP. This is sixty percent LOP. So when they're falling through their exercises, they know what to pump it up to. But you know, I fortunately not just sending them loose and pump it all the way up. Go there for seven. Go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or in that case, not pump it up enough because that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, cool, man. This is good stuff. Any parting shots, Laura? Words of wisdom you can give us? Oh, man. No, I can't. Where can we find you? How do we get in touch with you? How do we, yeah. Gonna do the standard. Oh, um, gosh. Laura loves Twitter. Loves it. No, I, I used <laughs> to. She seems pretty active yeah, on it. She used to love it. She's changed her mind recently. Oh. Yeah, I mean, that's that's probably a good place to start. Um, if you want a quicker response, I would probably just email me at laura at buildphysio.com. Um, probably get more of our messages through Instagram. I'm getting better about Twitter. I'm starting to reemerge on that platform or X or uh, whatever you call it. But I either call it Twitter. email, Instagram, X. You can find Whoa. me. Build well, on the on on uh, Instagram. It's build physio. 
Oh yeah, Just shoot. Straight, build physio. Answer, right? um, yeah, there's build.physio or my personal slash professional one is the khaki free PT. That's right. Mm -hmm. The khaki free PT because Laura hates khakis. I hate khakis. She hates the state farm guy. No Ted Lasso oh. for you. Worst <laughs> nightmare. Don't like farms. I don't wear them either. I got big legs and they make me look like a husky boy. So I, I don't wear them. Tough skins. Unless they have pleats, then I'm all about them. Uh, no, okay, <laughs> joking, joking. All right, guys. Well, this was awesome. Laura, thank you so much. Hopefully Thanks I can get out there. You know, me. anytime there's a course in Bozeman, Kyle's like, I'm going, I'm there. So I need to get out there and, and not this loser who can't handle the cold. I can handle it. And I'm not a prune picker. I'm not a bunny hugger. Awesome. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you, guys. All right. Take thank care. You. Thanks for listening to the Owens Recovery Science Podcast. Owens Recovery Science is a single source for PTs, OTs, ATCs, DCs, MDs, and other medical professionals seeking certification in personalized blood flow restriction rehabilitation training. Find them online at owensrecoveryscience.com. One last thing before we get out of here. First, want to say a uh, sincere thank you for listening all the way through. But also wanted to remind you that this podcast should not be considered medical advice. It is strictly entertainment. It's a way for us to try to keep up with what is ongoing within the BFR world. If you require some sort of medical attention, medical advice, please seek that from a licensed individual within your state. Thanks, and we'll talk to you soon.